All right, we're going to jump right in, and uh, if you guys don't have a Bible, you can raise your hand. We have ushers that would love to get you a Bible. Uh, open up, if you would, to Acts chapter 2, verse 42. We're going to jump into that in just a moment. Um, I'm going to start with kind of a statement. Um, before I say the statement, just kind of reiterate what we're doing. Typically, uh, on Sunday mornings, we take books of the Bible, and we just teach them, verse by verse, chapter by chapter. It's kind of the typical warp and woof of what we do as a church. We let Scripture inform us. We, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John tell the story of Jesus, and we let that inform our understanding of who God is. And then periodically, we'll take times, and we'll kind of look at more of like a, a theme base, more or less regular than, than, than common, um, and or just various themes. And that's what we're doing right now is we're taking a break from the book of Acts. We'll be getting back into the book of Acts as soon as this uh, little five-week series is done. We're week three into it, so you can do the math. Um, uh, and then we'll be getting back in the book of Acts. But we've been looking at what we're calling a vi- the vision and values of Calvary Slow. And it's really the idea of trying to identify uh, who we are as a church in San Luis Obispo, on the Central Coast, and, and beyond. So... Um, that's what we're trying to take some time to look at, pause, to think about it. We're calling it a people and a purpose, like who we are and why we do what we do. So um, what I want to do right now is I want to pray, and then I'm going to start with kind of an intro statement, and then we'll look at some passages that kind of bring into light what we're trying to communicate. So let me pray, and we'll get into uh, looking at the scripture. So God, thank you for your great love. We want hearts that are open that are able, capable of receiving. So God, through your Holy Spirit, speak to us right now, we pray. Give us the capacity to hear. Give us the ability to see who you are. God, help our hearts to have a sense of humility to respond. Uh, Even if there are areas in our lives that, that clash with who you are and what you're doing in this world, we want Conformity. We want our hearts to conform to your ways because your ways are good and life-giving. So we give you this time right now. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Statement. Oh, we got to... Oh, there we go. It's working. Okay. Here's my statement. All humans are learners. Uh, our word, which we'll use and dissect in just a moment, is the word disciple. All humans. Every human being is a learner of someone or something. Um, So if you carry that idea out, which it leads on into the next question, the question for us is, what are we devoting ourselves to to learn or being a disciple of? So the question is, every one of us, because every one of us are learners, we're learning from something, that's kind of what the media does, right? It's feeding us information, it's feeding us uh, a storyline, a narrative, Uh, books feed us a narrative, music feeds us a narrative, Um, uh, All sorts of things are feeding us a narrative. Your professors, if you go to Cal Poly or Cuesta, they're feeding you a narrative. Everything about us, your grandma fed you a narrative. Everybody's feeding us some form of a narrative, okay? The question is, is what is it? And ultimately, is it life-giving? Does it lead to life? Does it lead to Jesus? Does it lead to a hope and and, an extension of life? This is what Jesus would call eternal life. But what we are really interested in and trying to understand is what does it look like to be a disciple of Jesus, that's the real question that we want to wrestle with because we really kind of believe as a church, as a community, this is central. This is really central to what it means to be Jesus' people. So next question, we looked at this a little bit last week, but it's good to kind of reiterate it. Um, next slide, is, is why? Why do this? Why look at the vision of values? Why spend a few weeks kind of focusing on this? Two reasons. One, um, to reinforce our collective sense of calling, identity, and motivation as disciples. 
uh, so that we can understand, like, like, how has God called us? Like, what has he called us to? Um, who are we, like our identity and motivation? Like, why should we do this stuff that we do? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Like, why do you go to church on Sunday? Why, why Jesus? Why, why not Buddhism? Oh, why not Mormonism? Why, why this? Why this church? Why, why this day? I think those are good questions to ask. I don't think there's anything wrong with asking those questions. You should be able to have plausible answers to those questions. And there's actually good reasons to those things um, if you take the time to really dissect them. And there's a good reason for that because if we don't pause periodically to ask those questions and really find answers that are there, um, it leads us to the second reason, which is it's to remind ourselves of the real possibilities of drift, is that we, we have the potential of drifting, meaning um, we can either completely and all together walk away from the reality of the gospel, which, which, is, uh, which is not good, or we can even walk away from the gospel by being present where gospel is being preached, but being unmoved by it, all right? Does that resonate with anybody? Meaning, let's, let me put it into another context. Going to church, yet be completely being bored with the message of the gospel. Unmoved. It never brings you to tears. It never shocks you. It never awakens you. There's never a sense of like awe and worship and respect and wonder. It's not there. It's non-existent. And it's possible that, that you are and you have already drifted. <laughs> You've already drifted. You've drifted away from the beauty, the compelling nature of Jesus himself. So... I think the way to reawaken ourselves to the reality of the gospel is to take these periodic pauses and, and look at these things. So that's why we're doing this. Okay, next slide is a little diagram that I think is really helpful for me. I love, I love images and pictures, and it's helpful for me. Um, to look at the diagram in the center is Jesus and the gospel. Jesus is the gospel. We've been saying that. Um, and then from that are these uh, four uh, pillars that kind of spawn off from that, which one is worship um, with Jesus and the gospel being the center of everything that we are, uh, we naturally become worshipers. We worship God. We worship together as a community, as God's people. So to kind of recap, I just kind of put it in a brief sentence like this. Because Jesus and the gospel is front and center, we gather to declare the praises of his glory. Like, like that's why we do this. Because Jesus is resurrected, uh, because he's king, because the life, death, burial, resurrection of Jesus was a historical event that happened, and because we've been moved by that reality, we gather to uh, retell the story, to remind ourselves of the compelling beauty of that, and to remind ourselves of who we are and of whose we are, who we belong to. Um, and then the next thing which we'll take a look at mainly today is the idea of, of training, or another word for that is discipleship. Like, as Jesus' people, we are frequently devoting ourselves, or should be, devoting ourselves to training. So just pause and think about this. Um, pull away any form of religious nature of this and just say, as human beings living in America in the context of 2016, we are always you know, seeing Facebook ads or Instagram ads or things or clickbait that we're clicking and it's kind of taking us somewhere. We're learning information all the time. If you're watching those like 30-minute like, clips, it's like, you know, eat this pill and it will, you'll, you'll look like... Arnold Schwarzenegger or whatever, like, like you, you see some of this clickbait, and, and the reality is we, we think we're learning something, but the point of the matter is, is when we follow a lot of these things, our hearts and our minds are being devoted to various things. We're learning. We're training ourselves. And, and like disciples and followers of Jesus, uh, we're either learning and being disciples of Christ or simultaneously kind of learning and being disciples of, of all sorts of or any number of other voices that are trying to teach and train us stuff in this world. Again, the question 
that really needs to be answered for us is, is what we're devoting our hearts to, life-giving or destructive or broken. Gospel, arguably, is life-giving, and that's, that's why this is so important. So we say this kind of like a little statement that we are a community of people being transformed by Jesus to love God, love others, and live on mission as participants of the gospel. In other words, not just simply people on the sideline, not just people that throw money at it periodically, not that people that, you know, every once, uh, six months, we sign up to do something. We, we are participants. We jump in. We are active in what God is up to in this world, especially particularly in our local expression we call Calvary Slow. So, next slide, we'll jump right into this and uh, take a look at Acts chapter 242, like I told you. Let's read it. It says, they devoted themselves to the disciples, the followers of Jesus. Um, so again, kind of a little backstory. Remember, there's a uh, Jesus lived. We see the, his account, his story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Um, and he was a teacher who proclaimed that he was going to be king. He was king. Um, he was put to death. Third day, he rose again. Uh, and what happened was the entire world was transformed by this reality. So there was uh, pockets or communities of people that followed Jesus. We called these disciples. And when they realized Jesus was alive, as opposed to being dead, um, meaning the dreams were dead with the supposed hope of Jesus the Messiah, but when he was seen as alive, they began to realize, like, everything that we had hoped that he would do is, is a reality now. Jesus is Alive. That means that hope is there. It's possible. It's, it's something that can be felt and sensed, and it's, it's tangible. It's for the taking. Um, and these people gather together as resurrection people, as hope-filled people, as communities of Jesus. And as they gathered, what we're told in Acts chapter 2, verse 42, kind of a little bit of a, a information as to what they did, uh, what were some of the characteristic traits that marked them. So it says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to the prayers. And then it goes on to say the rest of verse 43 to the end of 47, that this great awe or fear came over all these people. And God was adding to this community of people. So I'm not going to read the rest of that, but I'm just going to focus mainly on verse 42. Because what we see here is something that these guys had done. So disciples... Uh, very clearly did something. So again, if we are looking at this and asking the question, well, who are disciples and what are disciples in the Bible? Um, we'll get to an answer with that in a second. First of all, I want to basically uh, kind of enter into this and begin to look at, first of all, what a disciple is not. So kind of point number one is what a disciple is not. We'll kind of briefly take a look at this and then we'll move on. One, a disciple is not an elite version of a Christian. Okay? So here's what I mean. I think in the past 15 years, there's been a lot of language being used to describe the word disciple, Christians as disciples. So I think what has kind of happened within some Christian context is that we tend to think like, okay, well, there, there's this dichotomy. There are, there are Christians, and they go to church on Sunday, and they read their Bible, and they buy Thomas Kincaid paintings, and they do certain Christian stuff. But you know what? They're, they've succumbed to the, to the, to the, to the world. They are uh, they're consumers, they have bought into the American dream, but they're just sort of Christian by way of culture. But the real super Christians, the real elite task force of the Christian community are the disciples. Like, they are the elite special forces group. They are the ninja version of uh, the followers of Jesus. And what happens is kind of create, created this sort of, um, this strata of Christian reality. But in reality, this is not in the, go- the gospel. This is not part of the Bible. Like, like the, the early writings of Scripture 
just simply say all who follow Jesus were disciples. So if, if we're letting the Bible inform our understanding of the gospel, we have to dispel myths of this classification of Christians. You guys following so far? We have to dispel that. So if, if you've ever been a contributor or a thinker that there are Christians and then there's disciples. Disciples are the super ones. Um, that, you've got to rethink that. You've got to bring that to the altar, recognize it's false, and, and, and rethink it. That's what the gospel does. It help you to rethink that. In other words, uh, we'll get to this in a second. All are called disciples. And we'll get to more in what a disciple is in just a second. The second thing is that a disciple is not just a learner. It's not just somebody that is absorbing information or having their mind transformed and, or, or, or broadened in terms of, or expanded in terms of information. And again, this is another big, I think, myth in the Christian world, is that there are people that, I, I think, really, one of the things I've discovered over the years is that some Christians can find the Bible really compelling. It's a really compelling book. If you ever spend time to just read it, it's really compelling. There's a lot of interesting stuff in the Bible. And if you spend time researching it and studying it and layer upon layer, you can, the more you discover, it's a really, really interesting book with lots of complex realities about it. So in other words, there's a possibility to treat the Bible like, like a really good, um, I don't know, like a hobby. It's, it's like a hobby. You study it and it's intriguing. You learn data and information and insights. But the reality is, is there's, there's no difference about your life. So, for example, have you, ever met, have you ever met people like this? They love the Bible. They love maybe prophecy in the Bible. They're always talking about prophecy in the Bible and always talking about intricacies of the Bible. But their life just is like a stench. They're not kind. They're not rude. They're irritable. They're grumpy. They're always causing divisions. They're always the type of person that you don't want to be like. Have you ever met that person or people I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but maybe you are that person. Hopefully not. Um, but, but I would say this is a myth. It's a myth to just simply treat the Bible or be somebody that looks at the Bible and finds it super intriguing and spends a lot of time researching and memorizing scriptures and memorizing data within the Bible. But your life does not change. That does not make you a disciple. It just makes you um, an enthusiast with the scripture. That's all you are. But don't call yourself a disciple. Does that make sense? So now it brings us to the question, what is a disciple? Like, what is a disciple in the New Testament? Next slide. Now we'll begin to kind of get to work. Next, next slide, we'll kind of take a look at that. Um, so I have, a, I have an idea that I just want to kind of pass along. So the gospel that we see proclaimed and preached throughout the book of Acts on several occasions, um, at least seven sermons, perhaps eight sermons throughout the book of Acts, are examples of what I would describe as gospeling. Preaching, proclaiming, gospeling, proclaiming this message. And in short, the gospel is the story of the life, death, resurrection of, of Jesus, the king, who's come to bring restoration and fulfillment to the scriptures of, of ancient Israel, but also to bring healing and forgiveness of sins to all the world, Jew or Gentile alike. It's, it's this incredible announcement. So what I wrote is the gospel is the world-shaping, community-transforming, personally-renewing announcement that takes a lifetime of learning to discover. So this, this gospel, this, this proclamation that God is up to something. He's not abandoned us. He's renewing, restoring, bringing healing, forgiving uh, people of their sins at great cost to himself. Um, raises all sorts of questions. Like, like how do we apply this radical announcement to should I love or hate my neighbor? 
Should I forgive someone who's offended me? Should I be generous with my money or stingy with my money? Or how should I think about my sexuality? The gospel is this incredible announcement that basically says God is up to something in this world and he's radically reshaping, remaking this world and he's inviting you to be part of this thing. And so it raises these questions like, how does this shape the rest of my life? That is where we kind of move on. The early Christians, they learned from the apostles teaching how to put off the old ways and put on the new. So the apostles teaching, so the rest of the New Testament Ephesians, Thessalonians, 1 Thessalonians, 2 Thessalonians, uh, you know, the rest of the New Testament are these letters of the apostles' teaching. They're, they're applying, they're unpacking this, these, these Old Testament promises of how God is up to remaking this brand new society of people who are Jesus' people. They have been made washed and made clean by the blood of Jesus, and they're being brought into a new family reshaped by the gospel. And so what we see is this community of people giving themselves over to that teaching, which we would call the apostles' teaching, which is what we saw in Acts chapter 2, verse 42. It says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. Now, again, back in that list, there's four things that it said that they had done. So can we go back to that slide real quick and just look at it real fast? So we see four things that basically they had done. It says that they had fellowship, they broke bread, and they, they prayed. But first on that list is the apostles' doctrine, which meant... It's, it's not enough to just simply have fellowship, to hang out. You know, we'll talk more about that in the weeks to come. Or break bread, which is, you know, obviously having a good meal. And it might also include uh, the, the, the celebrating of the Lord's Supper, uh, the poured out wine, the broken bread, and also praying. So in other words, it's not enough to just simply be a community of people that hangs out with one another um, and eats good food. Um, because technically, that, we, we call that San Luis Obispo. Right? We call that San Luis Obispo. There's all sorts of amazing eating institutions, great coffee places that you can go to, and great treats to eat from those places. And you go there and you hang out and you talk and you get good fellowship and good relationship and good laughs and good talk and good food and all good coffee, all that. But but that's that's different than what we see in the book of Acts. Very different. And and the reason why I would say it's different, it's distinct, is because who these people were was more than just eating good food, more than just gathering, more than just praying, was that they were giving their hearts over to the apostles' doctrine, saying, we want to learn. We want to be learners. We want to be disciples. We want to have our heart, mind, all shaped and reshaped by this life-transforming announcement of the good news, the gospel. That's, that's who these people were. And, and this is, so if you're a disciple, in short, this is, this is who you're going to be. So I want to read a quote real fast from Tim Keller. Great quote, by the way, he says this. Many understand devotion to the apostles' teaching, that phrase, to be embodied in a sermon at a large group gathering. But the New Testament concept of devotion to the apostles' teaching includes more than just listening to a sermon. Devotion to the apostles' teaching can take the form of reading scripture, studying it, memorizing it, meditating on it, group discussions, and practical life application. All of which are great. All of which are great. If if you're not doing those things, highly encourage you. Do it. Do it. Meditate on scripture, study scripture, find other people who are working through scripture and begin to dialogue and discuss what the text means. But he goes on to say, it's, it's far more than all that. He says, but the phrase devotion to the apostles teaching also carries with the sense of, here's, here's the big E on the I chart, faithfully putting the teachings into practice. So it's not just learning information, learning data. It's actually taking that data, that information that stems from, spawns from this announcement that God is putting the world to right uh, through Jesus, this long lineage promises 
through Israel and then announcing forgiveness of sins, that God is doing something through Jesus. And so the reality is that he is putting not only the world to right, but he's also putting your life back together again. He's bringing healing to you. You guys following all this? Making sense to you? This is what Jesus is up to. This is what he's doing. So next slide, I want to, uh, to kind of go on and uh, make a couple statements about this. So what is a disciple? So in short, a disciple is one who has devoted the entirety of their life to being remade and reshaped. And it's where we get the word trained from. It's one of the reasons why we see this as one of our pillars. Because a disciple is one who devotes themselves to being trained. All right? Now the reality is, in culture, there's all sorts of ways by which we get trained. All right, so for example, if you want to start a YouTube channel and you want it to be successful, what, what do you do? You will likely find someone who also started a YouTube channel and created a YouTube video on how to become successful, and you'll watch it. If you want to start a photography business, you will go out and watch YouTube videos to watch how a photography business was started. And you will train yourself. You go into any job, any company, you get a job at MindBody, there's training that's going to be involved. Like, if you sign up, and you're like, I want to start Monday or whatever, and they're like, okay, and you're like, I don't want to do any training. They're like, okay, well, you're fired. Um, because part of being here is you've you got to get trained. Like, you will submit to the training, um, or, or you will likely not have a job. Like, that's just that's part of the culture. You get trained. You learn. You learn new tools. You learn new uh, utensils. You learn new abilities. You just adapt to that culture, wherever it is. That's what it is, training. The gospel is no different. Like, we train. We rethink. So, it, but this training involves... What I would like to describe is four little facets. And I, I didn't create this, but I, I added the, the feet. You know, I think oftentimes you hear people talk about head, heart, hands. Um, I added the feet, but um, I'm not innovative, but I'm sure I borrowed it from somewhere else. I don't know who, so I can't give credit. So that's, that's my way of, that's my disclaimer to say I didn't steal this. So anyways, this involves your head, involves your head, heart, hands, and feet. Let's look at that. Head, the reshaping of your thoughts. If Jesus is king... And that means that there are thoughts in your mind, thoughts you're thinking, thoughts that you're thinking about yourself, thoughts that you are cultivating, maybe about other people, about other people groups, about other races, other sexes, that are totally incongruent with the life-giving announcement of Jesus. You guys following so far? Totally incongruent. Meaning, if you stayed on a path of thinking according to the ways that are incongruent with the thinking of God, then you will have tension you will have frequent tension. There will be, and it will come in the form of conviction. You will feel crappy all the time. Because you're trying to live according to a frame of mind that's incongruent with the new mind that Jesus is saying, I want to give you. I want to give you. Receive it. Receive it as a gift. So your mind, your head, your heart, the shaping of your emotions, what we love, what we set our affections on, what we truly love, our heart, um, our hands, our actions, like how we use our hands to work, to show kindness, to, uh, to declare acts of war, to demonstrate violence, or give a cup of cold water in the name of Jesus. Like the gospel actually has a lot to say about that, how, how we use our hands. And finally, our feet. It reshapes the direction of our life. Like, like where are we going? What's the trajectory? What's the path that you're on? Um, I, I love um, Eugene Peterson has a book. It's a book on discipleship, and the name of the book is actually called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. I've just said this before, but love that. Love that title because that's exactly what discipleship is, is, is a person that has this long obedience in the same direction. doesn't mean you're perfect. You're not an uber-Christian. You have not, like, overcome everything. You are in this pathway, this process of, of every step of the way asking this question and reorienting your life to say, God, I want to follow you because your path is a path of life. 
And, and you're in this long obedience in that same direction. And if you get off path, it's okay. There's, there's forgiveness, there's healing, there's correction. Jesus comes, he washes, he reminds you of the fact that you're, you're washed in his blood. He reminds you of the fact that he doesn't hate you at all. In fact, quite the opposite, he absolutely loves you. Maybe that's the message for some of you, you need to hear that today. Because you veered from the path, you've drifted, and in that field, in that shoulder, in that soft place, in that ditch, you found yourself in a spot of feeling of God, God must hate me. He doesn't hate you, actually, he absolutely loves you. And, and he, he wants to bring you back, because he knows his path is a path of life. So we see uh, discipleship involves our head, our heart, our hands, and our feet. And a way that summarizes, if you want scripture to back this up, is Matthew chapter 4, verse 19. I've, I've taught on this many times before. It's the passage where Jesus says, follow me and I will make you disciples of men. Following Jesus, being a disciple means to follow, to know and follow Jesus. It involves being remade by Jesus. He says, I will remake you. I'll make you to become disciples of men. And then finally, being a disciple of men means I'm going to send you out. You're going to be part of what I'm doing in this world. So it involves our head, our heart, our hands, and our feet. All of these are components of really what that looks like. Let me give you an example of this. Um, next slide, I'll come back to this passage in just a moment, Ephesians chapter um, 4. Let me give you an example of this. Back when I was around 13 years old, um, I, I bought my first surfboard. Like, um, I, I, I was probably a freshman going into my sophomore year of high school. I grew up in Huntington Beach. Um, maybe some of you knew that. Maybe some of you didn't. Um, you know, it's the real surf capital. It's de- definitely by far better than Santa Cruz. But um, anyways, it's the real surf capital. It's, it's where I grew up. It's like it's my, my hood. And uh, I, I went to a high school in, um, called Ocean View in um, Huntington Beach. And I bought my very first surfboard when I was at 13. I bought it at a garage sale. It was like a really cheap board, but, but I'm like, I, I want to become a surfer, like, that's, that's really what I want to be, and uh, a lot of my friends are kind of starting to surf, and, you know, there are other reasons why I became a surfer, became a surfer, but uh, I'm like, I'm going to become a surfer, so I bought my first surfboard, but with buying my sur- first surfboard, I also, like, went into the, my first surf shop, and I bought, like, wax, and then I bought a t-shirt, and I bought my first uh, pair of, like, shorts, like, actual, like, surf-type shorts, and this is going to totally date me, but they were, like, the old school, like, really thick corduroy, really short ones, you know what I'm talking about? Like, really short, where, like, like the pockets actually hang, hung out from the bottom. Like, that, that was really cool way back in the day, um, back when I was in high school. And, um, and I, I bought surf videos. Uh, Blazing Boards was, like, one of the very first, uh, like, if you have any idea or any memory of it, you can look up on YouTube. Um, North Shore was, like, one of the most uh, iconic movies, still is, in my opinion, like, most quotable Best surf flick ever. Um, if you have no idea what that is, just look it up on YouTube. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, the point of the matter is, is what happened was, is, is I didn't just pick up surfing as a hobby. My identity was literally changed. I, I learned everything I could learn about surfing. I watched videos. I, 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 I watched other surfers. I wanted to become like them. My language changed. The way I saw the world changed. Because for a surfer, this is a little bit of a, a secret for surfers, right? For surfers, when, when they get on the wave and they're going down this, this, this line, uh, after they're done surfing and they're out of the water, when they're walking down the street, they can see like a, a row of bushes or a wall, and, and that becomes like a line, like you're surfing. So, so honestly, we call this mind surfing. So you could be walking down and see this like perfectly lined up wall, it might be head high, and then while you're walking there, you're just, you're just like this, and you're thinking that I'm in a, I'm in a tube right now, I'm in a wave. And so if you've ever seen a guy do that, that's what he's doing. He's mind surfing. He's envisioning himself actually on a wave, but it's really just a brick wall. I know it's crazy. But again, your entire world changes. 
Your entire world changes. You learn new music. Like, like I started listening to, like, that's when I was introduced to, like, all the great music, Social Distortion, Tiswell, Ted Kennedy's, all these amazing uh, bands that were, like, part of the surf culture in Huntington Beach. Like, that, that was it. Like, my whole life became absorbed and, and obsessed and possessed by surf culture. That's what the gospel does. When you believe this announcement that God has done something in this world to eradicate, to to undo the, the, the consequences, the power, the dominion of sin, and set you free and bring you into it. Now you see the world differently. You begin to ask questions like, what, how is God bringing me? How does this inform the way I live? How does this, how does this inform the way I see my, my enemies or my neighbor or somebody that has different skin color than me or someone that's from a different social economic level than me that's what the gospel does it begins to radically reshape the way that you see and think about everything everything that's what it does and it's what we see is happening it's what a disciple is it's so pervasive it just challenges you to think differently about all things now let me let me read you the words from paul i'm going to wrap this up in some summary thoughts paul writes this in ephesians chapter 4 verse 17 is i'm going to read this out of the uh the message, if you're familiar with that uh, paraphrase, it's not really so much a translation, it's more of a paraphrase, but there's passages that he uses that are so good and so rich, and I think this is one of them. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 17, he starts off by saying this, do not go along with the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. Now again, he's not being rude, he's just simply pointing out, look, most of the world in which we live in just mindlessly does stuff, not because it's thoughtful, not because it's carefully articulated or carefully processed through. It's just, it's just mob mentality. It's mind of the, the, the group. It's groupthink. We call it groupthink. Hey, what's the group thinking? What's the group doing? Let's just do that. We, we, there's another phrase in which we call it peer pressure. It's like, what, what's the rest of my friend groups? And it's probably what got me into surfing, quite frankly. It's like all my friends are doing like, okay, I guess I'll become a surfer now. And, and, but it's a good choice. Anyways, the point that I'd make is, is he's saying don't, don't go in the way of the crowd. Uh, don't go along the way of the crowd, the empty-headed, mindless crowd. Uh, they've refused for so long to deal with God that they've lost touch, not only with God, but with reality itself. They can't think straight anymore, feeling no pain. They let themselves go into sexual obsession, addicted to every sort of perversion. Just pause and think about this for a second, okay? There's all sorts of sociological studies that have been done in our, in our culture right now. And one of the things that they're, they're observing, they're saying, they're, um, some have been slow to actually recognize this, but it's there. We live in the most in, one of the most intensely, highly sexualized cultures of all time, ever. I mean, everywhere you look, like everything is somehow linked to sex. I mean, you can't even see a Carl's Jr. Uh, billboard without it somehow being highly sexualized. That's, I mean, that's what I'm talking about. Like, what does a burger have to do with sex? We'll just, just go to, you know, Carl's Jr. to find out. It's, it's all there. The idea is that somehow we, when, to devoid ourselves from God, to remove ourselves from a way of mind-renewing relationship with God is by default. The default mode of our hearts is somehow to move into some weird, perverse sexual realities. And that's what he's saying. I mean, that's, I mean again, that's back in Paul's days, like 2,000 years ago. Think Rome, ancient Rome, where they would have these gnarly orgies and sexual exploitations and so on and so forth. But we've learned how to do it and harness the power of media and uh, YouTube and internet and whatnot as to, to mass produce this type of stuff. It is the most highly paid thing in the world. 
So the point of the matter is Paul's just saying, look, that's how the world works. But then he goes on and say, verse 20 to 24, he says, but that's no life for you. And he's writing to Christians. He's saying, you guys were once part of this whole system. That was just part of this process of debauchery and brokenness and exploitation and sexual perversion. But he's saying, but that's not you anymore. Like, you, you were that. That was you. That was a part of your life. But now you've been picked up and brought into a new kingdom. Something new defines you. You're no longer part of that system, that structure of brokenness and dog-eat-dog and vampire lifestyle anymore. Where where one who is powerful sucks the blood, the life of another in order to survive. He's saying that's that's not who you are. He says, why? Because you've learned Christ. That word learn in, in the Greek actually is the root word from disciple. It's actually the verb form for what a disciple is. A disciple in a noun. Uh, this is kind of the, the, the verb form, like described. Like you are in the process of learning Jesus. That's what a disciple is. You're learning about Christ. What does that mean? He goes on to say, my assumption is that you have paid careful attention to him, been well instructed in the truth precisely as we have habit in Jesus. And what he's just unpacking further, he says, look, as a follower of Jesus, as a disciple, you are having your mind renewed and reshaped by Jesus, this king. This, this kingdom, this other kingdom has come from outside of this world that is influencing and transforming and even condemning the principalities and the powers of this current world and exposing them for what they are. They're just frauds filled with broken lies that always lead to more brokenness. So what he goes on to say, he says, since then, we do not have the excuse of ignorance. Uh, everything, and I do mean everything, connected with that old life has to go. It's rotten through and through. Get rid of it and take on an entirely new way of life, a God-fashioned life, a life renewed from the inside and working itself uh, into your conduct as God accurately reproduces his his character in you. Like, this is what God's up to. Have you ever kind of asked yourself the question, what's God doing in my life? It's this. It's this. Are you letting him do it? I mean, this this is where the rub comes sometimes. Because sometimes we, we love our old ways of thinking. Um, therapeutic language, we would say we're addicted to it. Christian language, we would say it's an idol. It's the same thing, though. Um, but here's what Jesus wants to do. He wants to set you free. If you are a slave to ideas or ideologies that are actually destructive to your life, the hope of the gospel is to liberate you, to set you free from those things that are not only destructive to you but offensive to the creator God because these things are equivalent to vandalization of a piece of art. And that's what happens, is that God says, I want to set you free from the vandalization. Oh, and by the way, in many cases, the spray paint can is in our hand. And God said, I want to set you free. I want to set you free. Receive the gift of freedom. Receive the gift of letting me reshape and remake your heart. So that's what a disciple is. It means that God has access to every, every curve of our lives. Our morality, our sexuality, our identity, our understanding of who our neighbor is, whether or not we choose to forgive other people or hold grudges, or allow violence to dominate or control us, it means that King Jesus is Lord. Because look, at the end of the day, if I was to simply put it this way, if God is just an accessory we put on and put off when we choose, meaning it's like a gold watch, like a really nice gold watch, or let's, you know, 
modernized. That's like a really, really nice gold iWatch, all right, or Apple Watch. I don't call it iWatch. Um, Apple Watch. It's really expensive one. It's like the $17,000 version of the Apple Watch, right? Which is just like the $300 version, except gold. All right? Um, it, if we treat God like this really highly gold accessory that we put on when we need a Christian context and take off when we're a little bit embarrassed or ashamed of it, then um, really, guess who's in the driver's seat? Or to put it in another context, guess who's king? You. We still have yet to really wrestle with the fact that Jesus is king. If he is king, and if his ways are life, and if the ways that we have chosen that are in opposition to King Jesus are actually a path that's not life, in other words, death, then we have an invitation that's extended to us. It says, come, trust me, receive me, and I'll lead you on a path to life. But you have to recognize that there are areas of spoilage that are already released upon your soul because of just where you came from. And being a disciple means to be on this long pathway of obedience in the same direction, of learning to bring those things to King Jesus and let him, in some cases, remove them altogether, redeem them, and restore them, or remake them. Like, this is what Jesus does. He invites you into this. So, last thing I want to finish up on is really the idea of, like, where does this happen? Like, where does discipleship take place? And, and this, this might be an important question for you to, question, uh, to answer, because for some of you, um, this, this is really important, because you're trying to figure out, like, okay, I, I'm, I'm game. I'm going to do this. I want to be on board. Um, how do I do this? What does this look like? Um, if you've been around Christian culture for any, any length of time, five years or even less, you know that a lot of times the word discipleship gets used and sometimes it refers to sitting down with a, a mentor, somebody who's going to teach you or train you, you go through Bible study. And all that's really good. I would say if you're not doing that, maybe find someone and do that. It's really, really helpful. It's really good. And, and I think that can be a part of a discipleship process. It definitely can be. But um, it's not how the New Testament shows and demonstrates a model of discipleship. It's just simply not. Like, you don't see that happening. I mean, maybe occasions where Paul would bring a guy like Timothy into his life, and they would always hang out with each other. But what you see in the New Testament is kind of um, the, the, the way they would be shaped as disciples was very distinct. Very distinct. I'll, just, I'll, I'll read it to you. Um, Ephesians uh, kind of gives us this little insight into it. Um, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 42. Uh, let's see. Let's go back to 242. There we go. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking bread. We saw that. Day by day. This is where they did this. Day by day, attending the temple together and in their homes. So we see that there were actually spots or locations in which God was at work. God was reshaping minds. God was taking people and training them. And where were these training places or training vehicles happening? Um, again, it's, it's way more simpler than oftentimes we tend to, tend to give it credit for it says that this was happening when they gathered together in big groups in the Temple Mount, as it says there, but also from house to house. Meaning that as they would gather together in smaller groups and would break bread and have food and remember the Lord's Supper and pray for one another and sing songs and worship together, like that's where discipleship was happening. That's where this process of reshaping their mind was actually taking place. So let me give you a couple examples of how this could work out, I think, in some really practical ways, the environment. So first of all, I would just say, um, if, if this is true, every place here, sorry, go back. Um, every place can be a training opportunity, which means every place is a discipleship opportunity, which means every place. It means here on a Sunday morning, 
So um, if, it, for some of you, this is important to know because, again, where drift typically happens is when you think about gathering on a Sunday morning as just another event to do. I would suggest that that's, that's a good way of seeing, potentially recognizing that drift has happened in your heart. You've, you've forgotten to see or you've been unable to see that, that actually Sunday morning can actually be a place for discipleship for you where you can learn to grow. Um, where drift can oftentimes happen is when we lose sight of that. We just show up, or sometimes we just don't even go all together, or sometimes we don't make it a priority, and gathering together with God's people is like low on the list. If it's a nice day, I'll definitely go to the beach. If it's not a nice day, then maybe I'll go to church. Um, in other words, it's just a very, very low priority because I think what's happened is you fail to see this as, as a discipleship opportunity for your mind to be reshaped, for you to be remade. Forgot to challenge you to maybe even contradict some of the false ideas and false notions you've held about him so that you can become a person that's truly alive in Christ. That's, that's what this is all about. And so um, in, in closing, I want to just kind of wrap up some thoughts about this. So Sunday gatherings is a place that many of us just kind of naturally go to. Now, there's statistics, actually, that have been done on this. I think George Barna is kind of a uh, statistician. Is that what you call it? Statistician? Is that what you call that? A guy who does statistics? Yeah, was all right? All right, yes. Um, so the, as a statistician, he, uh, I, I think he came up with and he pointed out that the average American goes to church, uh, attendance-wise, once every four to six weeks. Once every four to six weeks. Let's think about that. What, what that basically tells us, for the most part, is that gathering together is, is really a low priority. It's just not that important. Now, I have to say this, because, I, I, again, when I start going down this path, um, I can just see I'm looking on your faces. You're starting to kind of feel the guilt and shame. Like, oh, man, he just found me out. Because I haven't been to church. The last time it was like four weeks ago. Like, dang it, how do you know? Um, this is not about guilt and shame. This is not about me tracking you down on Facebook. This is just me simply saying, like, like think about this. Uh, again, there's no guilt and shame. Because at the end of the day, guilt and shame um, does not work long-term in discipleship. It does not work long-term in discipleship. It works great short-term in getting Jobs done. In other words, pragmatics. It, but it does not work in actually shaping disciples. And what we want here as a church, we want you to be disciples. We want you to truly be shaped as disciples. So what we want you to really understand is, is why do we gather? Like gathering together as a community of Jesus' people is so that we can be reminded that we are God's people. So that we would be aware of the fact that we might be prone to drift. But so that ultimately so that we can be reshaped in our thinking and understanding in our lives, our heart, our hands, our head, and our feet as disciples and be remade. That's, that's really it. So to miss opportunities where we gather are really to miss discipleship opportunities. But let me add one other layer to that. Because every single Sunday, there's all sorts of stuff that goes on here. Especially first service. Our hope would be at some point to have child care second service. We've done that in the past. But reason why, frankly, why we don't do it as second service right now, we just don't have enough bodies enough actual physical people to be able to, to do it. So we've kind of, again, no guilt, no shame, just to simply say, like, like this practical reason why we don't have it second service is we just don't have enough people. If we had enough people, we'd totally do it. But the point is, is there's all sorts of things that take place here on a Sunday morning um, as we gather, because when you get a big group of people together, um, there's all sorts of needs that need to be done. Like coffee's pretty important, right? How many like coffee? Anybody drink coffee? Um, you guys like coffee? Um, like, coffee's really important. Like, it's, I, I would even say that that is a San Luis Obispo Central Coast value. Amen? Amen? It's like, it's a value. It's, it's, it's part of living. It's part of the good life, right? Um, I, I think Jesus loves coffee, too. But, um, 
the point that I would make is, is that for us to have coffee, that means we have to have people back there. And it doesn't, doesn't create itself. Like, it takes people that are devoted, devoted to being disciples. It says, I want to make coffee for other people. I want to help them out. They, if they need help, I want to help out. Uh, we, we need help. We always need help. We always need helpers, volunteers, people that would say, I love this church. This is part of my family. Like, I want to serve it. And I, not just because it's a pragmatic need. And I, trust me, there's all sorts of needs all the time. Don't, don't misunderstand me. All the time. But that should not be what motivates us. What should motivate us is a sense that says, I, I want to be a disciple. I really, truly want to grow as a disciple. And being there, serving other people, helps me to grow as a disciple. Here's another thing to think about. Every Sunday morning, there are people that come into this church that, that don't know anybody. They just sit there sometimes even alone. And they don't know anybody. They walk out. And they're like, nobody knows me. Nobody said hi to me. Nobody befriended me. Nobody asked me out to lunch. I saw a bunch of people going out to lunch, but nobody invited me. And you don't get this. Like, like sometimes, I, I, I think sometimes people tend to think that church's purpose is to create a social network for you. And, and, and we, I can't do that. The, the other pastors on staff cannot do that. But what we can do is create space where we gather, we unite, and my, my job is to hopefully present such a compelling picture for you of this relational God that he's so good, he's remaking the world, he's remaking you should you allow him so that you're kept up at night. You're like, oh my gosh, there's people that felt just like me alone and I want to do something about that because God did something about that in me and he reached out to me and he loved me, he gave me a sense of belonging. I want to help others to have a sense of belonging and be loved and be shown kindness to. So if I can do that in a Sunday morning context, I'm going to do that. That's what the gospel does. It allows God, who's a living God at work, alive in this world, reshaping, remaking us, to be a part of, to join in what God's doing. So Sunday mornings becomes a really natural place where discipleship always happens. And there's all sorts of needs that are always happening, taking place. Um, community groups is another place, like joining a small group. All sorts of them, all across the, the, the central coast that gather together and they study scripture and they pray for one another and they have meals and they break up into groups. So even sometimes even smaller groups in a smaller group that they're, that they're uh, vested in and they, they pray for one another. So if you're not currently involved in a small group, um, the, the question I would just ask is, is like, like where, where are you plugged in? Where, where's your sense of belonging? Who's feeding you? Like what message, what storyline, what narrative are you, are you believing like, how you answer that is ultimately going to reshape how you live as a human being. Does that, does that make sense? And, and, the, and the reality is, is that for many of us, we are so close to this narrative of life. And yet, we, we push it away because there's all sorts of other vying narratives saying, follow me, listen to me, watch me, download me, click me. And we remain at arm's length. We, we drift. And we remain stuck and we remain slaves to all sorts of other vices and destruction and destructive habits and sinful actions, proclivities. And then finally, we have all sorts of trainings that, that we do as a church, all sorts of trainings, like men's basic training to help men really kind of think about and recalibrate their understanding in terms of thinking about the gospel. We have that financial peace training that's, that's there. Like, again, for some of you, like, like, um, like, again, gospel thinking is like, okay, God is a generous God, but I'm ridiculously stingy. Like, I mean, the moment you come to grips with that, and you're like, oh, my gosh, there's an incongruency here. If God is so generous and I'm so stingy, like, how, how do we recalibrate that? Well, not by guilt, not by somehow being told you must give more, you must do more, because that doesn't work. But by reminding yourself of the God that's generous and what he's done for you helps to bring about some level of balance, and it's long-term. Because it's not just simply changing an action, it's changing a heart. 
Because how many of us can actually go about and just do the actions, but our heart is not really changed? The gospel is really interested in changing our heart. And finally, uh, last thing to kind of close, next slide, as we'll wrap it up with this, is um, what are some practical steps that you and I can do? Um, one, just simple, part, we said this a couple weeks ago and showed it the past couple weeks, participation, cooperation, contribution. Participation. Uh, participate. Jump in. Be part of it. Don't just stand on the sidelines. Just be part of what God's doing. Uh, jump in. Find a spot. Find a way. Find a place. Ask. Um, um, we, we have volunteer cards. You know, we can fill that out and turn that in. Get involved in a training. Get involved on Sunday morning. I mean, if you're going to come here on Sunday morning anyhow, and you're going to, you, you're, part of your renewing of your mind is like, I'm going to make it a rhythm. I'm just going to, I'm going to come to church every single Sunday. I'm going to make it a part of my routine, my ritual, my service, my, my sacred worship to Jesus. And if you're going to come, I mean, might as well jump in and, and serve. You know, be a part of the greeting team, the hospitality team, children's ministry, whatever. Like, welcome that, par- participate within that. We also have a, a college ministry. You know, if you're a college student, we have a college ministry that meets here tonight at 630. If you're currently a college age student, 20-something or whatever, and you're trying to figure out how, how do I get plugged in or get filled in, um, be, be part of that. Check that out. Um, we have a element, we call it elements class. It's a life in, tri- life in Christ training that we're going to be starting up at the beginning of the year, and we're, it's going to be going live this afternoon uh, for sign-ups for that. Um, I would highly recommend it. It's going to be a six-week course I'll actually be teaching. Um, would love to have you be part of that. It's really just the idea for that is to help train you to understand a little bit about who we are as a church and how the gospel reshapes us, um, but over a bigger, broader period of time, and why would we do the things that we do? And then uh, thirdly, uh, contribution. So participation, cooperation, the second one, cooperation. Um, join a team. Be part of that. Like, learn how to be a part of the family of God. Uh, let me give you a quick little example. For me, when I first became a Christian, when I first moved up here to pastor the church, uh, my wife and I were both 23 years old. Um, we had been married for two whole whopping years, so we had this vast amount of wisdom that we felt we just needed to part uh, or impart upon two people. And, uh, and, the, and the reality is, it's like I had never, ever, ever been a part of any type of a team up until that point. Like, I, I didn't play football or baseball. I just didn't care about any of that. I still don't care about any of that. Um, and surfing is a very individualistic sport. Like, that's all, it's just you out in the water and, and, and dolphins, and, and that's it. Like, like, like it, you, and it, for me, my parents divorced um, when I was about 12. Um, my mom was the one that left, so my dad worked all day long. And so I learned to be extremely independent. Like, I grew up doing stuff by myself, on my own terms, in my own way. And that became a little bit of a challenge, even within my, my marriage, um, of learning how to, to bring my heart into a place of, of teamwork, cooperation with, with my wife. But I tell you what, by me submitting to that, and by me apologizing occasions when I failed and bucked the system and brought hurt and pain to my, to my beloved patient wife, like, those are moments where it's shaped me to be more like Jesus. I would have never entered that had I never pastored a church, had I never even gotten into the relationship with my wife in marriage. Cooperation. That's what cooperation is. So, so as long as you avoid, like, cooperation, being a part of a team, um, you, you will, there's no context for you to really learn how to serve one another. Like, you really, you're not going to learn. You, you, won't, you cannot read a book and be like, I got it. I figured it out. Any more than you can, like, read a book or play, like, a flight simulator and be like, I figured out how to fly a 747. You have not figured out how to fly a, a 747, all right? I don't care how many times you play the game Operation, you are not equipped to operate in someone's brain, all right? I would, you know, so you get the idea. And then finally, contribution. Uh, what we share in, or how we share to, what we share to, the idea of just generosity, being giving of your time. Like, like we invite you to think about this. 
really to wrestle with this. Again, if you call this your church, like ask God, God, how can I contribute to this, this community? I realize you know, a lot of times most of the people in our church are young, between 18 to 35, uh, 38, somewhere around there. And, and a lot of people just don't have money. But the only way that we can like, do what we do is by faithful people that contribute on a regular basis. So for some of you, the idea of actually being generous with your money is the last thing in your mind because you don't have a whole lot of it. And so um, the thought of actually being generous is, 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 is almost a, a challenging point for you. But again, part of growing in the gospel, part of growing as a disciple, is learning how to be generous even with stuff that we have, all the stuff that we have, because that's who God is. Again, generosity, not out of a basis of guilt and shame, but out of the fact that our God is generous. Our God is good. I want to be generous. I want to act in ways that represent his goodness. And that's, that's what we would say. Participation, cooperation, contribution, time, treasure, talents. At the end of the day, the gospel is always about this invitation. It's about God saying, look, this world as broken, as ruined, your life as broken, as ruined, your mind as messed up and twisted and demented as it may or may not be, I come to heal. I come to bring restoration. I come to reorder it. Will you, a big question that Jesus, I think, would ultimately ask, will you let me heal you? It's always an invitation. It's not us inviting God into our lives as an accessory. It's about us responding to God's initiation, saying, yeah, I will let you heal me. Yes, I will let you reorder and reorient my mind and my thinking and my ways and how I give and how I think about money and how I think about my sexuality and how I think about my identity and how I think about my neighbor and how I think about my enemy. I allow you, God, access to reshape everything. That is a disciple. I invite you to think about the claims of Jesus. For some of you, you're not Christians. That's okay. We're so happy. I talk to Christian people all the time that come to church here that are not Christians. We're so happy you're here. Like, we want you to continue to just explore the claims of Jesus. Others of you, um, you come to this church and you've been hurt, you've been wounded, and you're just kind of cycling around, or you're just, you want to be a fly in the wall. The thought of like jumping in and contributing and giving, it's like the last thing on your mind. You're like, ah, I've been down that path before and been sucked dry of every resource and every ounce of inspiration and talent that I've ever had. And, and it's okay. You can be flying the wall. We, we want you to heal. We want you to meet Jesus. We want you to be transformed by the gospel. Um, others of you, maybe you've been here for some time, and you just, you've, you've never really taken the step. Our encouragement is to not just simply jump in and fulfill a pragmatic need. Our encouragement for you is to respond to the invitation of Jesus to be a disciple. It's a path of life. It's a path that transforms. So, Let's respond. You know, the worship team climbing up. Why don't we all stand? I invite you all to stand. And uh, what we typically do on Sunday mornings as we gather, we have been past month or so, is we just allow a few moments of, of quietness, quiet space, just to close our eyes, open our hearts to God. Um, in some ways, it's kind of a revolt against a culture of noise <laughs> that we live in, where cell phones are being rung and we're constantly getting pings from the fact you got a new like on Instagram or someone commented better yet. You know, like, I got a comment. That's just a like. I got a comment. Like, I'm actually affirmed. I'm like, I'm better than I was three comments ago. This is awesome. And, and we live in this world where we are constantly having to have noise. And we wonder sometimes why we never hear the voice of God. It's always drowned out. 
We're always waiting to hear the announcement from somebody affirming us. And we, we seldomly hear the voice of God saying, I love you. I care for you. I'll provide for you. I forgive you. So my invitation to you is to just quiet your mind and just ask the Holy Spirit. Just say, Holy Spirit, what do you want to speak to me? Just take a moment, pure quietness, bow your heads, close your eyes. It's just quiet for God. Holy Spirit, we, we want to allow you and just give you space to penetrate our hearts, to shine your light in dark areas that oftentimes we try to keep out of the light because we're ashamed. We God, want to be people that allow you access to those things. The areas that we have fears we're, just, we're paralyzed by certain fears. We want to allow you access. Those areas where we are just crippled by shame, we want to allow you access. Those areas that our hearts and our minds are perverted with images of deviant sexuality, we want to allow you access. Those areas in our heart, God, that are just <laughs> crippled by unforgiveness and deep ache and pain, and anger, we want to allow you access to reshape that. Those areas, God, in our hearts where we hurt, we ache with a sense of loss and grief, we want to allow you access. So Holy Spirit, come and have your way. We're going to sing, and we'll have some people over off by the side to the cross who would be there to pray for you. I'll be up in the front if uh, I'm happy to pray with you as well. We have communion off to the side, back in the front, for you to come and eat the bread and drink the cup by dipping, not drinking, dipping. It's a reminder of the fact that we have a God that was broken for us so that you who are broken, we who are broken, can actually be made whole. So receive, receive the gift that Jesus offers today. Receive it. Let's respond.